Our reading this morning is from John chapter 18 and verses 1 to 11. John 18, 1 to 11. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This is the word of the Lord. Just before we start, let me say thank you to the wonderful gentlemen who've been preaching to us over these last weeks. I'm sure we all very much appreciate uh, their messages to us. And secondly, in the message this morning, um, there are quite a few Bible references. In some cases, I won't be actually quoting chapter and verse because probably of time and the flow of the story. But um, if there are verses that catch you and I don't, don't give chapter and verse, uh, let me know and afterwards and I'll uh, tell you where they are. So let's just have a word of prayer first. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. It had been a very long night. They'd started with supper in the upper room, their last supper, but they didn't know that at the time. Jesus had been different, serious, burdened, sad. He'd talked seriously to them for a long time, told them of things to come, assured them of his care and prayed fervently for them. Then they had gone out of the city to the Mount of Olives where Jesus agonised in prayer and they slept. 
There they were with the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one who'd performed miracles, healed the sick, given sight to the blind and raised people from the dead. But they were exhausted and confused. Suddenly in the darkness they saw lights, many, many lights, bobbing through the olive trees, coming down from the Temple Mount into the valley of the Kidron. There were voices and the sound of many feet. As the crowd drew closer, the lights became flaming torches. The voices became the chattering of the anger-fueled Jews, and the footsteps became the sound of nail-studded sandals of Roman soldiers. What must the disciples have felt? After years of being with him, they had finally that very night come to believe who he was. He had spoken at length to comfort them, and at last they could say, now we can see that you know all things. This makes us believe that you came from God. But now they were in danger. They were dismayed. They were terrified. They were in despair. But Jesus wasn't. He knew what was ahead. He had told them they would be scattered. He knew what God had planned. He had prayed to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. The Jews also had a plan, a plan to get rid of Jesus. But as Cameron reminded us in a recent sermon, God had the plan. The Jews also thought they were in control. They thought they had the power. Roman soldiers, an angry mob, swords and clubs, were they in control? Look at verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What a demonstration of the awesome authority of the Son of Man. He spoke, they fell to the ground. They had come to arrest him. He arrested them. He knew that God was in control. He knew scriptures such as Psalm 2 warning that the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And he also knew the response. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God was in control. God is in control. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. In many things in our lives, there's a process and a product. Let me give you an everyday example. Let's say we here at home uh, wanted to replace the carpet in one of our rooms. It's all old and moth-eaten and wrong colour and stained and all sorts of things. Now, to do that, there's a process and a product. And Joyce is very lucky and good because she sees the product. So when we talk about, talk about replacing the carpet, she sees in her mind the room transformed, lovely new carpet, everything beautiful and fresh. Unfortunately, I see the process and I think, oh, I've got to uh, do research and see which is the best kind of carpet and find out who's the best carpet layer and we'll have to go and get quotes and then we'll have to move all the furniture out and then there'll be mess to fix up. And, you know, I, I get all 
mixed up in the process and forget the product. The disciples were immersed in the process, in the moment, overwhelmed by it. They couldn't see the product, the result. God saw the result, sacrificial death, resurrection, forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. It's easy for us to get immersed in the process when trouble comes. But remember, God sees the product. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is in control. That's our first point. God is in control. Second point, commitment. Jesus was totally committed to God's plan. John Stott writes, Jesus submitted to the Old Testament scripture in the fulfillment of his mission. So he accepted that he could enter into his glory only by the road of suffering and death. This explains the sense of necessity, of compulsion, which constrained him. Mark tells us that Jesus had begun to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Why must? Because the scripture said so. Voluntarily and deliberately, he put himself under its authority. End of quote. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew that the disciples would fall away. He knew that the chief priests would condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who would mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. But he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. No one has known the sorrow he experienced. And yet, when he was face to face with these enemies, this mob, we read, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, who is it that you want? He committed himself to God's plan, saying, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And now to concern. Jesus knew all that was ahead of him. Yet his concern, his love was for his disciples, his friends. He knew what was ahead for them. Previous chapters in John have told how he spent a long time teaching them, encouraging them and preparing them for what was to come. He had warned them, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. His concern was always for them, not himself. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In his recent thoughtful sermon on John 16, Ben spoke of how deeply concerned Jesus was for the disciples and of how he tried to comfort them, encourage them and give them hope. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Even here in the garden when he was in deep anguish and just hours from cruelty and death, he said to his accusers, if you are looking for me, then let these men go. Even in that situation, he was thinking of 
his disciples. He knew all too well the dreadful truth about what was going to be done to him. Yet his concern, his love was for his disciples, his friends. And this means us too. Praise God that we can be included among his friends. He said to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. He prayed to the Father. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Keith Walker in his sermon on John 16 reminded us that just as the disciples were bewildered, so can we be. We can have doubts about what happens to us and about God's care. Devastating moments do come. Just look at the world around us. Look at the church news bulletin. Look at the list of our friends who have serious health issues. The writer R. Kent Hughes wrote, Gethsemane was not a tragedy and neither are our Gethsemanes. Life may be dark at times. Tragedy may come and at times the whole world may seem to be falling apart. An Aboriginal Christian we knew once wisely said, God never promised us no bed of roses. Just be mindful that our struggles are his struggles. Your struggles are his struggles. In 1 Peter, we read, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The poet Robert Browning wrote, I tread no path in life to him unknown. I lift no burden bear no pain alone. So in conclusion, we've thought about the control of God, the commitment of Jesus, and the concern, the care, the love of Jesus for us. Finally, John Stott wrote, Scripture bears witness to Christ not in order to satisfy our curiosity, but in order to draw from us a response of faith. And we'll let John, the writer of this gospel, have the last word. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. I understand that in Greek, believe means to rely on, trust in, and cling to. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.